Well, this morning, I want to recap where Lloyd has been in week one and week two, and then jump in kind of a new topic related to the Holy Spirit, which is the work of the Spirit. Uh, Let me recap, first of all, if you were here two weeks ago, Lloyd started this series by walking us through the conversation Jesus had with his disciples on that last supper about the Holy Spirit. And here's essentially what he said, I'm leaving, but it's better for you that I go. Now, how does that make sense? Well, only because of what followed. He said, when I go, you will receive a helper. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to explain, the Holy Spirit is God. And, you know, Lloyd had nine things that we learned about the Holy Spirit just from those texts. And the amazing thing about this is Jesus is telling them that it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit, i.e. God, living inside of you than for you even to be face-to-face physically with me, who is God incarnate. You really think about that, that's pretty profound. The gift that we have is actually better. The spirit in us, as Lloyd said, is better than God incarnate with us. That's what Jesus was saying in uh, John 14 through 16. Then last week, he talked about depending on the spirit. And throughout scripture, New Testament writers use different phrases. They talk about walking in the spirit, being filled with the spirit, et cetera, et cetera. And the the idea, which, you know, Luke has already reminded us of, is the Christian life's impossible without the spirit. And some of us, we think that grace only happens when we're saved and then we go about trying to live the Christian life apart from grace, apart from God, apart from depending on God. That's not how it'll work. It never works that way. We've been given the Spirit. So the Spirit lives the life of Christ through us because he is, after all, the Spirit of Christ. Right? Trinity, three persons of the Godhead, distinct but one in essence. Lloyd's kind of done a really good job, I think, of unpacking some of the mystery there. So here's the bottom line from last week. As you depend upon the Spirit by faith, He does through you what you would not be able to do without depending on Him. And this is exactly, I think, what we saw the church experience in the book of Acts. Remember, the Holy Spirit was their power source. It's like that's what plugged him in. He was the dynamite. He was the power the Holy Spirit was because that's what transformed them from a group of people, you know, hiding away from the Roman authorities after Jesus' death to the group that ultimately turned the world upside down. So this morning, we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit, particularly as it relates to the Word of God. The work of the Spirit through the Word of God. And the, the idea is that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are intricately connected Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. You know, we're not going to stay there for long. We're going to jump around. Uh, I'm actually going to give your your, your fingers some pretty good exercise this morning, flipping through the Bible. Some of the verses will be on the screen as well. Now, here's what I need to say just by way of introduction as you're turning to Philippians 1. It'll be a few minutes until we get there. You're going to need to engage your brains a little bit this morning. All right, and you know, I'm confident because you guys are a, a pretty bright congregation. I've picked that up over the last six months or so, and I'm confident you can handle this. But we're going to be going a little bit deeper this morning than what a typical sermon will. Now, it's going to get practical, I promise. I'm not going to kind of leave you up in, you know, theology land, so to speak. We're going to make that theology applied theology, and we're going to get really practical. But we're going to cover some theological concepts this morning, and theology doesn't have to be dull. In fact, theology is just the study of God, what we know about God, what we know about ourselves in relationship to God, how we relate to one another in communities because of what God has done for us. All those are theological topics. And I want to say this, in some ways, this sermon has been building in me for years 
because I personally have developed an interest and a fascination with the intersection of God's word and God's spirit and how those two things need to be held together and how the work of the spirit is primarily done through the word of God. Now, as I've thought about this, prayed about this, read about this, studied, what's built in me is an excitement and energy that you all get this because I think this can be transformative. I think there's something about the way that you think about the Spirit and something about the way you think about God's Word together that actually will change the way you hear teaching of the Bible, that will change the way you read the Bible, and will ultimately change the way you're being transformed by God. I know that promises a lot. But we're going to try to get there this morning. Um, this sermon is for you if you have no idea what the Holy Spirit is about in your life. This sermon this morning is for you if uh, maybe all the Holy Spirit talk makes you nervous and you'd rather just talk about the Bible. Okay, this is for you this morning. It's also for those that say, I don't know why this church talks about the Bible so much. They should be talking more about the Spirit. This sermon is for you as well. This sermon is for anyone who's ever wondered why we teach the Bible the way we teach it. A fellowship, why we take it so seriously, why we teach it book by ver book, verse by verse. We're going to talk about that this morning. And finally, and I think all of us are in this category, this message is for anyone who knows they need to be changed, but is not always sure how that change happens. This message is for you this morning. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to answer three questions. What is the work of the Spirit? How does the Spirit accomplish the work? And what does it mean for us? Let's try to keep the outline fairly simple. The what of the Spirit's work, the how of the Spirit's work, and the so what of the Spirit's work. Let's start with what is the Spirit's work. I'm just going to answer that very uh, simply at the top and then we'll unpack it. Simply put, the Holy Spirit's work is to do the work of God on earth. The Holy Spirit's work is to do the work of God on earth earth. That may seem very obvious, but I want to explain it a little bit better. What we see from Genesis to Revelation all throughout the Bible is the Holy Spirit is the particular member of the Godhead who activates and actualizes the work of God on earth. Here's a really clumsy analogy that doesn't do it justice, but just follow along. The Holy Spirit is in a sense the member of the Godhead who kind of acts as a construction foreman who takes the design of the, the architectural team, which he also sits on, right? And he implements it. He makes it happen. He gets the work done. Like he takes it from a concept to reality. That's the purpose of the, the construction foreman. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, obviously, but the work of the Spirit is to accomplish the work of God. He gets the work of God done. And, and I hope that's starting to make a little bit of sense for you. Uh, here's what this means. For almost anything that God does in the world, the Holy Spirit's involved. And not just involved, but he's at the core. He's at the center of it. He's on the move. He's doing things. Listen to this list of the activities of God. Uh, the, 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 not all the activities of God, but I, I pulled all these activities of God from Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and these are ones that are particularly attributed to the Spirit. And I want you to hear how comprehensive this list is. Here we go. The Spirit gives life. He guides and directs. He gives power for service. He purifies. He strengthens. He leads. He gives hope. He reveals. He gives courage. He regenerates. He delivers from sin. He gives gifts. He enables us to walk by faith. 
He gives understanding. He unifies. He gives power to proclaim the message. He produces righteous character. He changes us into Christ-likeness. We could go on and on and on. A better question might be, what doesn't the Spirit do? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the agent and minister of God's purposes. His work is to do the work of God in the world. Now, this next little part is important. All the work of that Spirit out there, like, like, it's not just out there in the world. It's also in you. The work of the Spirit is in you because God is working in you. This is where we get to Philippians. And I, I want to start with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And then I'll read you one other verse in Philippians as well. Let's read this verse, or, or I'll read it. You can follow along. For I am confident of this very thing, Paul is writing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. That means complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. There was a work that was started in you at your salvation that's continually working, continually growing in you. There's work. Like you're literally, your insides are like a construction zone. And who's in charge? The Holy Spirit. The construction foreman is the Spirit. Which member of the Godhead is in you? Pop quiz from your last two weeks. Who's in you? The Spirit. Therefore, work in you is being done by the Spirit in you. You follow that along? Now, turn, turn the page over to Philippians 2, verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, sometimes when we hear God, we, we instantly think God the Father. God, the word God does not always refer to the Father. God is a trinity. You have Father, Son, and Spirit that make up God. So in this particular case, who's the reference to? Again, it's to the Spirit. Who's working in you? The Spirit is working in you. God is at work in you through the Spirit. Now, just a couple little thoughts there as we kind of get going. Here's the big idea from this first part of the message. What is the Spirit's work? The Spirit's work is to accomplish God's purposes in the world and in you. In the world and in you. All right. If you followed along with me so far, you're in good shape. All right. That's the first important idea. Now we're going to add to it. And this all goes together. So we talked about the what of the Spirit's work. Now we're going to talk about how does he do it. By what means does the Spirit work? How does the Spirit go about doing the work in you? How does he go about doing the work in the world? Well, this is very fascinating to me. Uh, when you, when you read the Bible, all throughout, you see various ways that God gets work done. There's not just one way that God works. He gets work done, the Spirit gets work done in a lot of different ways. Let me just read some examples. He uses people. He uses circumstances. He uses nature sometimes. He uses nations. In fact, you know, whole nations have been raised up to do the will of God, sometimes even pagan nations. He's using to do the work of God. What that means is he's literally using the political system, you see, to do the will of God. The Spirit's in, in all of these things throughout the Bible, but there's one unifying thing behind all of those, and maybe a better way to say it is there's one way that God gets work done more than any other way, more than any other means, and, and the answer may surprise you. God primarily works through words. God, bless you, God primarily works through words. Okay, now, 
again, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to keep moving. I've got to. Now, what, what do we mean by this? This seems strange to us because we think about words not as something that does work. We think about words as exchange of information, right? That's not actually what words are. That's not all that they are. Think for just a minute about how God uses words to actually do stuff. And, and I'm going to walk you through your Bible very, very briefly, but we are going to start in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Turn there. Literally turn there if you have your Bible open. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. You know, many of you are already thinking, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. You're right. I know where, you, I know where this is going, but I want you to see it. God using words. Here we go. Uh, in the beginning, God created, okay, the heavens and the earth. That's the summary of what is about to say. Now we're going to hear how he created. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Here's the verse I want you to see. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God didn't say, let there be light and then go make light with his hands or something. God said it and it was. Now, I won't put these verses on the screen, but just real briefly, you know, let your eye drop down to verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Now look at verse nine. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Look at verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, etc. On and on and on. I won't read all of them. Here's the pattern. God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Now, you might just think, okay, fine. He created the universe with words. That doesn't mean he's working all throughout the universe continually with words. I, 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 I want to challenge that thought for a minute. I, here's some examples of God working through words in the Bible. He created a nation by speaking to Abraham and calling him out of Ur. He created a unique and unbreakable bond with that nation, which is a work, by speaking a covenant to them, making promises to them, which obligated himself to them through a word, through a promise. You see, that's what a covenant is. God used his words with this nation to bless them. He used his words to guide them. He used his words to discipline them across thousands of years. How did he do that? Through his words spoken through prophets. So the pattern all throughout Old Testament prophecy is, and the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, or the word of the Lord said. The word of the Lord said. The word of the Lord is doing activity. God's word is actually disciplining. God's word is blessing. God's word is guiding, telling them where to go. God's word is steering. God's word is shaping. Then, fast forward to our New Testament. Guess who shows up? The word. The word in flesh. John 1. The word of God with flesh on it. Isn't that interesting? So God has guided and led his people and worked in his people all throughout the Old Testament through the word. Then the word takes on flesh. Second person of the Trinity now and dwells among the people. Think about many of Jesus' miracles he did with his voice through his words. Remember he's out on the sea and there's that storm. You know, he doesn't reach into the water and, you know, touch the water. He says, peace, be still. And the word of the God, word of the Lord, calms the storm. 
Think about when he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, he, he didn't go in the tomb and unwrap and like put his hand, you know, and do like some compressions on his chest to get his heart started again. He could have done that. He simply called out to Lazarus, come forth. The word of God actually accomplishing things. The word of God doing activity. Uh, I could give you many other examples. Not all of them, but oftentimes Jesus is using his words to do miracles. Now think about the gospel itself. Is not the gospel itself a verbal proclamation that has transferred us from death to life? Literally, our eternal security rests on the word of God, the just judge who declares us innocent. That is a declarative work. That is a speech act. You are now innocent through nothing you did on your own to deserve the innocence. You are now guiltless through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, God transforming us, redeeming us through words. Here's how uh, evangelical scholar Timothy Ward put it. I think he's done some really good work on this. He said this, to say of God that he spoke and to say of God that he did something is very often one and the same thing. Starts in Genesis, goes all throughout the Bible. God speaks, and it was. God speaks, and it was. God is a master craftsman and builder. Words are his primary tools. Not his only tools, but I believe his primary tools. Now, interestingly, quick aside, you and I as creatures made in the image of God our words have powerful effect as well. Our words do things, do they not? They accomplish things. Uh, there's a whole a part of philosophy that's emerged over the last hundred years called speech act theory, speech dash act theory. And what speech act theory essentially says is words don't just transfer information, but language is actually a means by which one person performs actions in relationship to another. So a promise, you're obligating yourself to that person. When you speak to another person, you're actually performing something in them and on them. You can wound them. You can encourage them. You can spur them on. Many of you are where you are today, humanly speaking, because a word that was spoken to you for good or ill by another human being. Words do stuff. And you've known that was true ever since kindergarten. When somebody told you something you knew was a lie as soon as you heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... Not true. Words have power that sticks and stones couldn't even imagine. I heard it said this way recently, and I really like this concept. Words create worlds. Words create worlds. From God's perspective, that's literally true. So, here's where I'm going to try to connect some dots. If the Holy Spirit's work is to do, the, do God's will on the earth and in you, and if the primary way that God speaks and works, or sorry, the primary way that God works is through words, then there must be a very important relationship between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. They've got to be closely connected because the Spirit does the work. The work's done through the Word of God. They've got to be intricately connected. And indeed they are. Indeed they are. And this is where we're going to go next. We're going to talk about two theological concepts and I'll explain them and define them for you and so that hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll really understand them. We're going to talk about inspiration and illumination. Now these are just two words that theologians have come up with in an attempt to describe 
the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That's all these are, inspiration and illumination. Let's talk about them one by one. We'll start with inspiration. And, and I think some, some dots are going to start getting connected as we go through these. Inspiration describes the process by which the Word of God in the Bible came to be. So turn now to 2 Timothy 3.16. So from Genesis all the way deep in your New Testament to 2 Timothy 3.16. I want you to see what Paul has to say about the connection between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Here it is, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, this is one of the examples where I do not prefer the NASB translation of this verse. And I'll tell you why. You know, by and large, it's a very good translation, but I don't like the way they went here, and here's why. The word inspired in our contemporary English doesn't mean what the Greek means. In our contemporary English, when you hear the word inspired, you probably think of an artist or a songwriter or maybe you, you, know, you saw a movie that was inspiring or you saw a sunset that was inspiring. You know, that's not the idea here. If you dig into the Greek, it's actually a Greek word. It's a very important Greek word. It's a compound word. That means two words pushed together. I'll put it on the screen so you can see it. Theopneustos. Theopneustos. Now, that word is made up of two other words, Theos, which is God, and pneuma, breath, or air, good, wind, or spirit, spirit. That's exactly right. Now, in this context, it's probably best translated, God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's how the ESV translates it, which, which I like that, that uh, um, rendition. Uh, also, the NIV, all scripture is God breathed. I think that's also probably more accurate than inspired by God. Here's the picture Paul's trying to create. The scripture came, yes, through the human authors, but the ultimate author is God himself. Notice the connection between the pneuma, the breath of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, scripture. All scripture is God breathed. Here's uh, another verse that will help put the dots together in this idea of inspiration. Uh, look at with me, turn over to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, you know, some of you, your fingers will start getting tired and you'll just start looking at the screen. That's fine too. 2 Peter 1. Here's what Peter is saying. Now, different author than Paul, obviously, but Peter's talking about the same basic idea in 2 Peter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I think that may be the clearest explanation we have of how the Holy Spirit spoke through the Word of God. In this case, Peter's talking particularly about prophecy, which is a part of our Bible. The same principle can be applied to other genres as well. So here we get to the definition of inspiration. 
All right, we're going to put this up on the screen. I'll read it through a couple of times, and, and hopefully this will start making sense. Here, here's all inspiration is. It's the Holy Spirit's completed action of speaking directly through the writers of the Bible so that the words of Scripture are the words of God. The completed action of, of the Holy Spirit speaking directly through the writers of the Bible so that the words of Scripture are the words of God. Now, don't picture like some passive dictation where like, you know, the, the scripture authors are like in some kind of zen, zen mode and like they're just like God's like transcribing through them. I don't think that's how that happened. In fact, the New Testament reflects various personalities, various education levels, various voices, if you think of it that way. The Spirit is speaking through the unique instrument of the human author. Fascinating, it's the Spirit that has been at work in that human author since he or she was born not she, just he in this case, since he was born. Do you see? The Spirit has been about the work of inspiring God, uh, God's Word through those human authors until it was recorded. Now, that's your definition of inspiration. Let's move and talk about illumination. Illumination describes the process by which we hear from God today through the Bible. So if inspiration is the way the, the Bible was written, Illumination is the way we hear from God through the Bible today. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. I think this might be our last passage here. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living. That means it's alive. The word of God is active. That means it's doing things, present tense. The word of God is alive and it's doing things. It's living and it's active. Now, how is the word of God alive and active? You know, I, I don't think when I go to sleep at night, this book, you know, uh, um, starts breathing or, you know, takes on a will of its own or a consciousness of its own. It's not the pages and the ink and the binding and the material of this book that's alive. It's the spirit that's alive through it. It's the Holy Spirit speaking even today through God's word. The same spirit who authored it is now the spirit who speaks through it through this concept of illumination. So let me give you a definition of illumination. Illumination is, if I can find it in my notes, we'll, go, we'll tell you what, let's go ahead and put it on the screen and you can read it. Here it is. Illumination is the Holy Spirit's ongoing activity to open our hearts and minds to understand and trust the word of God so that God's purposes for his word will be accomplished in us. I know there's a lot there. I, I wanted to make it shorter, but I didn't want to sacrifice. Every, every idea is important in here. It's an ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds, to understand and trust the Word of God. Here's the purpose of it, the reason for it. Not just so we'll be smarter, not just so we'll learn more, but so that God's work, God's purposes for His Word will be accomplished in us. Going back to Philippians 1 and 2, the work of God in you. Now, here's what I'm going to ask if our um, AV team can do this, is to put inspiration, the definition, on this screen over here to your left and illumination on this screen over here to your right, all right? What holds them both together? What's in the center behind these two concepts? What do they have in common? 
The Spirit. The Spirit. Now, I just want to let you just blow your mind for hopefully just a minute. The same Spirit who authored the text through Paul or through Peter, or through John, or through Moses thousands of years ago, is the same Spirit in you. You have inside of you, follower of Christ, the author of the Scripture. His desire is to shed light on, illuminate the Scripture so that you will know it, understand it, trust it and so the work of the word of God because remember words are always at work the work of the word of God is done in you by the spirit now as a follower of Jesus you have continuous access to the author of the Bible and I know some of you are thinking well then why is it still so confusing you know it's not about just kind of, kind of magic formula there's work to be done we are to study. Scripture encourages us to do that as well. And we'll talk about how these things intersect in just a minute. But don't miss the fact that the author of divine revelation lives inside of you. And the purpose of divine revelation is to do the work of God in you. Do you see the connection between the spirit of God and the word of God? Word and spirit. So here's a recap. So for those of you that have kind of like been um, snoozing off a little bit, just catch back up here and you'll be good. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of God on earth and in you. How does the Holy Spirit do the work? Primarily through the words of God. That's how God's always working. Specifically, the word of God inspired by the Spirit, breathed out by the Spirit, and now the same Spirit in you, illuminating, explaining, helping you understand, and doing the work of God in you. So what? So what? This is our last, our last segment here. What does all this mean for us? Like, you know, okay, Rob, this interesting theology, you know, maybe, you know, you're, you're, you're geeking out on this like, like I do, you know, or maybe you're just zoning, that, zoning out. Um, but what does this mean for us? Here's the big idea. Big idea, we'll put it on the screen. God's work in you takes place primarily through the Holy Spirit transforming you by the living and active Word of God. You want to know what God is up to in you and how He's doing it? God's work in you takes place primarily through the Holy Spirit transforming you by the living and active Word of God. Think of it this way. God created the universe with words and he is now recreating you with words. That's what the Spirit is doing. Same Spirit hovering over the waters, Genesis 1, is in you now, construction foreman, doing the work of God. How? Through the living and active Word of God. That's how these pieces fit together. Now, what is he transforming you into? Like he's doing work. Like he's doing construction work. What is he transforming you into? The image of his Son. We're going to be like Christ, like Christ-likeness. You know, Christian is a little Christ. That's the work of transformation. But listen to this. He's transforming you into the image of the Son who is the Word of God in flesh. The image of the Son who is the Word of God embodied. Do you see, you are also called to be, in a lesser sense, okay, the word of God, i.e. purposes of God, commands of God, desires of God expressed through the Bible in bodily form. 
not just learned by you, but lived by you. Now, I'm not trying to do something crazy theologically and say you're the same as Jesus. No, you're being transformed in the image of Jesus to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. Jesus Jesus was the word of God in flesh. We are to live out God's word by the power of the Spirit as we are becoming more like the word made flesh. You you, you following this? I I hope you are. Uh, The words of Scripture are not passive. They're not just for your intellect. They're not just for your theological learning so you can be a smarter Christian. Theology is important. Deep study is important. I'll bring that back in in a minute. But do not miss the fact that the words of this book are speech acts of God who has a purpose in them for you. The thing he is doing in you is shaping you to be and do all that you were created to be and do. That's the work that God has planned for you since the foundation of time. Last thing I want to talk about is how do we engage that work? What's our role in it? And I want to take this from two angles. I don't have a lot of time, so if I start talking really fast, you'll know why. I want to talk about how we engage it corporately and how we engage it personally. Let's talk about corporately. You know, that's everybody gathered together, our worship services, but I'd also include a small group, a Bible study in the same corporate context. Um, This theology that's behind what I've been teaching you this morning is, in my opinion, why we must teach the Bible expositionally. Now, that's a long word that exposition just means explaining, explanation, okay? The transforming power is not in the words of the teacher. The transforming power is in the spirit speaking through the scripture. That's what's going to transform. A spirit-filled preacher or a spirit-filled teacher of God's word is an instrument of the spirit in the process of illumination, Do you see that? Now, you don't have to have a teacher. Obviously, Spirit's going to be at work in you, but it sure helps, and there are times that God designs, and the work he wants to do in you is through a sermon, but not through the imagination words of some preacher who wants to look good in front of a crowd, only as the preacher faithfully delivers the purposes of the word of God in the text. That's why we teach expositionally. That's why we explain the Bible before we apply the Bible. That's why we say, open your Bible and keep it open as we walk through this. And I'm not throwing any other churches under the bus. I just want you to know why we're passionate about this. Here's what this means. The authority of a sermon is not based on the authority of me or Lloyd or anyone else up here teaching. The the authority of the sermon is the Spirit speaking through the Word of God. Now, when there's been a careful explanation of the text, this is what the Spirit meant by this in the original context as best as we can understand through our labors of study guided by the Spirit. When there's been a careful explanation of a text, then the Spirit can speak through that to show its significance and application in 2018 in our contemporary context. So it's the combination, and this is the last point on this, and I'll move. The combination of discovering the original meaning of the words and then listening to the Spirit's voice speak through that original meaning and apply it to us in our contemporary context. That's what gives power to the sermon or the Bible lesson. And in a sense, I as a preacher, I am hemmed in by the Spirit on all sides. The Spirit in me the Spirit speaking through God's word and the Spirit in you who is hearing and receiving. The Spirit's at work in all three of those contexts as I'm speaking the sermon. 
my job is to be faithful to this text and be led by the Spirit. It is an extremely scary thing to preach God's word. And not just because you get nervous getting in front of people. I got over that a whole long time ago because I'm responsible for communicating as clearly as I am able through the Spirit's power the meaning of this text in a way that has authority. Not my authority, God's word's authority. That's terrifying, as it should be. That's how we engage it corporately. That's why we're passionate about expositional teaching here. How do we engage this personally? Look, understanding how God's word and God's spirit combine together will completely change your Bible reading. Not hyperbole. Not hyperbole. I want to get real practical here. Before I do, let me just read you this quote, again from Timothy Ward. So helpful. When we read the Bible, we must be ready for God to act on us and in us. When we read the Bible, we must be ready for God to act on us and in us. For as we encounter his words, as we encounter the actions he performs through the words, we're encountering God himself. Wow. So when you read, here's the practical part of the message. When you read, ask two questions. Question number one, what is the Spirit teaching me? That's when you literally engage your brain. What does this mean? You know, this is when you ask questions, you know. Uh, uh, what, what's the context? What am I meaning? This is the observation, interpretation, etc. All right, engage your brain on this. That's very important. What's the Spirit teaching me? What do I learn? But here's the second question that we oftentimes leave out. What is the Spirit wanting to do in me through these words? So if you only ask the first question, you've only gone part way. And so here's what I literally take this, take this home with you. You'll, you'll be able to memorize these two questions easily. What is the Spirit teaching me through this text or this verse or this paragraph, this passage? And what is he wanting to do in me through these words? And then I'm going to encourage you to talk about that in your friendships, in your groups, in your families. So you read God's word using those two questions. You talk about it because the Spirit's going to be at work there too in those conversations through other believers. And then you're going to live it out. And this is the last thing. Um, you've got to not just learn God's word, but live God's word. And this is where there's a powerful connection to what Lloyd taught us last week. Because this is where some people say, oh, I, 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 you know, um, uh, I've now got to live all this out. How am I supposed to live out the whole Bible? That's impossible. Have you read how many commands are in there, Rob? You know, and how am I even supposed to love my neighbor? You know, much less, you know, my wife or, you know, whoever else I'm supposed to love. Um, you can get overwhelmed by this until you remember the primary emphasis in God's work throughout the Bible is always the spirit, not the man or woman. In other words, we have a role to play. We engage it. We live it out. You know, Paul says, live out or work out your salvation. But even that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this goes back to what Lloyd said last week. Here's what you do. You live out the Bible with the posture of, I can't, but he can through me. And as you, as Lloyd explained last week, as you begin to put into action, put flesh on what God is doing in you through the teaching of the Bible, you're doing it, but you're doing it through the Spirit, not through your own resources. Now, Spirit of God Word of God. This is how transformation happens. It's not usually quick. Sometimes it is. It's hard. It's painstaking. It's slow. 
but anything worthwhile tends to have those attributes. It's the Spirit working in us through the Word of God in us as we live out God's Word in our lives by the power of the Spirit. Now, here's a vision for our church, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a last song. But here's, here's a vision for our church, that we would be a people of God who make the Bible alive for others because it's coming alive in us through the Spirit. That we would be a people of God who put flesh on the Scripture, who know God's Word because we take it seriously and live God's Word for the sake of people who desperately need the life of Christ. And they're only going to experience it through us. That's where we're going. Let's pray to that end together. Our Father, we thank you for giving us your spirit, and your word. We're reminded in that word that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And I know, speaking for me and and for the other members of Fellowship Bible Church, the two biggest things that we need, you've given us. The word of God and the spirit of God. Father, I pray that we would not be a church that separates those, even though It's so tempting to. Some of us are drawn toward the the word and learning and theology and intellect. And some of us are more drawn to what feels like the Spirit's work. May we realize that the two are integrated. May we realize that you are not just teaching us, but you're accomplishing things in us, at work in us through the Spirit. May we be the kind of people who would put flesh on the word of God not terribly unlike your son did, although he certainly did it in a unique way. May we be little Christs. May we live out God's word and do it around people who need life. We can only do this through your spirit. So we depend upon him even as we grow and even as we worship. In the name of Jesus, amen.